Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Bluetooth Bacteria Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina, and I'm here with my iGEM team members. If you're new to this podcast, we are part of the Pittsburgh iGEM team, and our goal is to talk about current advances in synthetic biology and its different applications. Today, we're very excited to have Julia, Adam, and Batil from William & Mary iGEM team to talk a little bit about what they're working on and some of the challenges they have faced so far. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having us. So can you tell us a little bit about your project? Sure thing. So our project really is interested in investigating the use of lipids in order to help combat viral infections. So I think to start off with, I might want to talk a bit about what really inspired us for the project. And obviously that's the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 epidemic which is the largest pandemic that has occurred in the last 100 years, shockingly enough. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy time. Yeah. So, exactly. And as we can see, it takes months, if not years, to develop and distribute vaccines. And just the entire course of the epidemic has really demonstrated that we need some way to combat, combat these new viral infections and new viral epidemics. Moreover, we were really inspired by faculty at William Mary and beyond who really just put down everything they were doing and devoted themselves to help fighting this COVID-19 uh, epidemic. So for example, at William & Mary, uh, Mr. Jonathan Gray, he runs our makerspace, so kind of the 3D printing lab responsible for all the engineering and that tech stuff. He started making all these clear plastic face shields. And so we were really inspired by that and also people at institutions worldwide who are just really dedicated to fighting this. And so we thought with our experience in synthetic biology, we could devote our time to some project where we could help fight epidemics like the SARS-CoV-2 epidemic. Yeah, exactly. Like Adam was saying, we just saw students and faculty around us using the knowledge and the resources they had to address the pandemic. Um, for example, a professor that Adam and I have actually had this previous semester, Dr. Leah Shaw at William & Mary, she's using her modeling expertise to model like social strategies, like um, social distancing and how those affect the spread of a virus. So we just saw all these great uh, faculty and staff at William & Mary um, using their skills and their expertise to address the pandemic. So we were inspired by that and wanted to use synthetic biology to address the pandemic. How, did COVID, how has COVID-19 uh, influenced your team dynamic and, and your project besides, you know, inspiring your project topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the obvious is that we have not been on campus this summer. Whereas usually during the iGEM competition season over the summer, we all come on campus and we get to work with each other basically every day, spend all of our time with each other, get to know each other. And that was not possible for this competition season. We've all been at home working remotely. We've been communicating over Zoom, which is what we posted our team meetings with. We've been communicating about goals using Benchling um, and email. We've been doing outreach through um, remote platforms. We've been holding, we hosted the Mid-Atlantic Meetup over a remote platform. So everything's gone remotely. And that's gone actually surprisingly very smoothly. Um, I've been very pleasantly surprised um, and I've been able to get to know the team. Um, but obviously it is a little bit difficult and something that I really enjoyed about iGEM, especially during my first year as a co-captain uh, co last year, was being able to train new members and really get to know them do their first mini preps with them um, and put parts together with them. That was something I really enjoyed doing and something that really let me get to know people. And it has been harder 
this year, um, just with the, the remote format. And when I have a question, I can't just walk across the room and ask somebody. I have to email them and there's a lag associated with that. Um, but I have been pleasantly surprised with the way things have gone. And we've been trying to do weekly check-ins over Zoom with new members to make sure that they're happy with um, everything that they've been able to do and they feel like they understand where they're at. Um, so that's been pleasantly surprising and good. Um, but it definitely has been difficult to not be able to communicate in person. Yeah, definitely with everything being remote, it makes it more challenging just to connect and just get things done. I, I think we're all kind of in that same boat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were mentioning it a little bit before we started recording, um, but we were talking about how just getting the motivation to be, you know, focused and uh, organized about work is a little bit harder when you're, at home in the same room that you sleep or in the same room as your relatives who are also working and on calls. And uh, it's just, a, it's very different not having that kind of categorization, at least for me. And I think I, I speak for everyone when I say that that's a common issue that a lot of people have been experiencing. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. Like that, what was nice about the lab is just like when you go in there, you know, okay, I'm here to do work. But like you said, when you're at home, it's kind of like you have your family all around you, like you have your pets distracting you, like there might be a bird outside your window or something like that. Just It's easy to just get off focus. But at the same time, it's been a good learning experience, like learning how to do things remotely and coordinate stuff. Because I think this is a lot of how it's going to be in the future, especially in science, as science becomes much more international remote. So I think it's definitely is a good experience. Yeah, I definitely agree that because it's so remote, uh, that we've been forced to make, uh, contact people outside our local area and talk to people all over the world. So that's one of the, I guess, the good things about it. It forces us to kind of meet new people. Yeah, and it makes things more accessible. I think it was in some ways actually easier to have the Mid-Atlantic Meetup over Zoom this year. And we invited two teams, um, high school teams that were not present previously and Nobody had to drive anywhere um, to get here to go to Williamsburg. So in some ways it was actually more accessible, even though obviously we would have preferred in person. Yeah, I definitely agree. But going back to your project, what exactly is your project design? How, how are you engineering this? Yeah, yeah, so we could talk about that. So what our project aims to do is provide a broad spectrum antiviral, because as we've seen, we can't fully predict the emergence of a virus with pandemic potential, we need to be ready. Um, and as Adam was saying, vaccines can take months. Um, the broad spectrum antivirals that are available might vary in their, um, how effective they are. So we need a reliable broad spectrum antiviral um, ready to go. And the way that William and Mary iGEM is trying to address that need this year is by designing a nasal probiotic that can secrete uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are also called PUFAs. Um, and PUFAs have a variety of antiviral properties. Um, they can leak or lyse viral envelopes. They may be able to prevent membrane rearrangement, which is a strategy used by positive strand RNA viruses. Um, and in addition to these kind of specific antiviral properties, they also have general properties related to inflammation. Um, there are PUFAs that can result in pro-inflammatory metabolites, and there are also PUFAs that can result in anti-inflammatory metabolites. So a cool thing that I think is interesting about our project is we're trying to balance PUFAs with pro-inflammatory metabolites and PUFAs with anti-inflammatory metabolites. 
inflammation is good, inflammation is necessary, but as we've seen, excess inflammation can cause a lot of damage. Um, so our probiotic is supposed to be smart, um, which I think makes it unique among drugs that we've seen in the news and that kind of thing. It will, by design, it will uh, sense the human body, inflammation within the human body, and secrete the correct, the appropriate PUFA, either anti or pro-inflammatory. So have these polyunsaturated fatty acids been used previously for antiviral therapies, or is this like something new um, that you're trying to bring out? So their antiviral effects have been demonstrated in certain studies. Um, linoleic acid and arachidonic acid have been shown to inactivate enveloped viruses, um, for example. Um, and then recent studies showed that linoleic and arachidonic acid were able to suppress um, coronavirus replication. Um, and then some studies showed that arachidonic acid, um, EPA, and then docosahexaenoic acid or DHA were able to suppress um, enteroviruses. So that includes mm -hmm. like polio. Um, however, we haven't seen something that has kind of like implemented these, these mm -hmm. antiviral properties. This is more, um, I think, like in vitro studies. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a quick question about that. So you're using the PUFAs as a response to the infl inflammation. Uh, so th that would be after the body has started to react to the virus, or would it be a preventative measure? We would administer the probiotic prophylactically, uh, so mm -hmm. before any virus has been there, but it will react to viral infection. So the goal okay. is that at the start of viral infection, which would be indicated by, for example, tumor necrosis factor alpha or interferon gamma, the probiotic would start releasing arachidonic acid. And arachidonic acid, in addition to having the antiviral properties um, we mentioned earlier, is primarily pro-inflammatory. So that would allow the body to initiate its necessary defense mechanisms, initiate the necessary amount of inflammation. And then afterwards, the probiotic would switch to DHA, which is anti-inflammatory. So it would prevent excess inflammation and resolve damage caused by inflammation. Um, and there are different ways, there are two different scenarios in which the probiotic would, be, would need to switch to DHA. So the first is the case that the body has successfully passed the peak of infection and is initiating its own anti-inflammatory strategies. So we'll just follow suit. Um, that, and that would be indicated by something like IL-10, and we would try to sense that. The other situation where we would need to switch to DHA is if the body fails to pass the peak of infection and just keeps generating so much inflammation, excess inflammation, and that would be indicated by excess levels of IL-6, which we will also try to sense for. Sounds very complex, like a lot of sensors and a lot of responses, but if you can get that to work, that sounds like it'll be very effective. At least hypothetically. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is all conceptual. So mm -hmm. we have no lab access this um, this competition se season, and we don't intend to do anything um, mm -hmm. within the lab. We don't intend to make or test this actual probiotic. We are trying to determine its feasibility um, mm -hmm. by reviewing the available literature, by consulting experts, um, and by mathematically modeling our system. Very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So um, how long would this probiotic theoretically last in the human body? Would it be something that you can take daily or would it last for longer periods of time, like for weeks? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important factor. And I think one of the largest um, factors in that is actually the choice of the bacterium we choose to engineer. 
So uh, several studies have looked at using probiotic lactobacillus as a nasal pharyngeal probiotic. And from what those studies show, uh, depending on the species of lactobacillus, it can actually be stably maintained with the nasal pharyngeal microbiome after I think about five weeks or so. I believe they administered it on week uh, zero and then they administered it again on week two. And then after five weeks from that, they still detected it. But yeah, it really does depend on the species. And we have to make sure that our uh, bacteria would be fit enough to stay integrated into the microbiome. And, oh, I'm sorry. An yeah. important consideration is how long do we even want it to last in the human body? Is this something we want to last for a long time or should it have like sort of a natural um, expiration date? Would that be safer? So what we've been doing lately is consulting experts, um, medical doctors, including like ENTs, allergists, immunologists, on what they think would be the safest way to implement this. Like when should it be administered? How and how long should it be able to last in there? So that's a question we're still trying to answer by discussing um, it with the experts. And so when you, when you take this probiotic, have you guys looked into any potential off-target effects or any negative side effects? Yeah, so uh, yeah, exactly. Like you said, safety is the number one priority for something like this. If it's not safe to use, then it's no good at all. So uh, we, like, when we were choosing uh, safety, what we were really looking for is first making sure that our circuit is safe. And that's why we have the regulatory mechanisms to make sure that we're not producing too many pro-inflammatory metabolites or too many anti-inflammatory metabolites. And moreover, the second part is obviously the chassis itself. Make sure that the bacterium is safe within the host. So we made sure to go through the literature and look for studies that actually used these uh, lactobacillus in clinical trials. So the uh, lactobacillus species we found, lactobacillus plantarum, lactobacillus rhamnococcus, et cetera, they all have been used in clinical trials in mice and in humans, and they've all demonstrated like no or very minor side effects. Like I think a runny nose is probably the worst side effect I saw. Yeah. And like Adam was saying, the, the fundamental design of our probiotic is based around the safety consideration of like how much inflammation do we want. So for example, when we started our project, we were really looking into DHA and EPA, which are considered anti-inflammatory. Um, and too much anti-inflammatory metabolites can actually be a bad thing. Um, for example, we found a study where mice that were infected with uh, influenza were given EPA and DHA, and their immune system was actually dampened to the point that they couldn't efficiently clear the virus. So our project design is actually inspired by this idea of safety and like balancing pro and anti-inflammatory metabolites. Mm, so I know you guys mentioned that the polyunsaturated fatty acids can actually lyse the viral membrane. I'm just wondering, would it have a similar effect to human cells? Or is that something that we don't necessarily have to worry about? From my understanding, human cells have mechanisms to stably incorporate and then um, metabolize PUFAs, mm -hmm. I think better than a virus would be able to, but that's certainly a um, consideration we've thought about and that we've been discussing with our experts, um, our medical doctors, what would be the effects of having too much PUFA, and they were just talking about lipid peroxidation and then just too much PUFA being incorporated into the human membrane. Um, and that's certainly something that we will consider and actually model. Okay. Certainly, and certainly a dose dependent as well. From what I remember from our, the in vitro studies looking at cell lines, the PUFA seemed to be much more dangerous to the viruses and the cells themselves. Like they mm -hmm. didn't observe much inventory effect. Uh, why the exact mechanism is probably just because cells are better able to regulate, but not completely sure on that. But it does seem like it's more dangerous to the viruses than the cells. 
-hmm. And um, PUFAs are used for various things um, besides antivirals. So even depression, for example, or arthritis. And one of the initial papers we were reading about using DHA for depression, I think, defined a range of like what is uh, healthy and what is toxic for DHA in the human body. So we are keeping those numbers in mind. Great. So now we're kind of kind of move away a little bit from the design aspect and kind of think about your project on a broader level. So I know that the pandemic really inspired your project. So and it's really important when you're having an antiviral therapy to make sure that it's accessible and cheap. Have you guys considered that in your design? Yeah, um, we definitely in the long term, we have been thinking about that. I mean, right now we're focusing on modeling, but if we were to create these circuits in the future, um, we would have to think about how we can make them as this probiotic like as accessible as possible. Um, especially like thinking about how can we prioritize people like essential workers, minorities, um, low income citizens, and how can we make it accessible globally? Um, and these are more like long term questions, because, as I said, like, and as Julia and Adam mentioned, we're focusing mostly on modeling this year. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we've tried to incorporate some of those concerns into our interviews with the experts. We've asked, like, what are some design considerations we can think of to make this more efficient to produce and thus inexpensive or accessible? Um, and we're still getting responses for that. Okay. Great. So moving on to just more chill things. I'm going to take that out. <laughs> <laughs> so right now we want to ask some questions about what are some of the biggest obstacles that your team has faced so far. It can either be general or a specific issue that you guys came across. Sure. So um Actually, going back to the design aspect of the project, um, some of the challenges I would say include with like the sensors as well. So bacteria actually naturally have sensors for human cytokines, um, especially pathogenic bacteria, because they use them to protect themselves from the immune response. Um, and so actually, it, one of the challenges for this year has been finding like well-characterized bacterial sensors, especially in gram-positive bacteria. Um, so we have been looking into like a synthetic receptor um, due to the lack of characterization. And so this one synthetic receptor, um, it was developed by researchers around in March and it actually it's a chimeric protein. So it combines parts of the OMP-A outer membrane protein in E. coli with parts of the OPRF outer membrane foreign in Pseudomonas aeruginosa. And they were able to create sensors for interferon gamma and tumor necrosis factor alpha um, that can actually initiate gene form transcription. Okay. So that's just one of the challenges I would say that we face. Yeah, and I, I know that you guys mentioned earlier that um, because of the pandemic, you guys aren't even expecting to go into the lab at all, and you've been dependent on mostly expert opinions and. Um, and modeling to kind of figure out how feasible your your ideas are. Do you have any intention of uh, continuing like next summer, for example, doing like the two phase approach that iGEM has talked about? Is that, is that what your plan is? Or do you think that you might just leave it as a theoretical and um, start with a fresh idea next year? We were very interested in the two year approach. Uh, 
we don't have anything finalized as of right now. And actually, uh, Julia and I are going to be graduating next year, so sadly we can't return to the team. But it'll be up to the team next year and also our PI for guidance. But we do, like, I do think particularly the two-year project is actually really helpful from iGEM because it does allow for more uh, theoretical projects to have time to really develop and get feedback. Like, I know personally one of the hardest parts of iGEM for, I know a lot of us and a lot of other people has always been really like IHP, having the time to really reach out to people and getting good feedback and then being able to incorporate that into our project. And so by being able to have just sort of the design stage right now, it really is allowing us to really reach out to people and get the feedback we need to shape our project. And hopefully in the future, if people are interested, we could use that and maybe do some lab with. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's definitely a, a, an interesting time for everyone to be um, in research in general and uh, especially in this kind of competition setting, which is a little bit unique. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today and we loved hearing about your project um, and we wish you the best of luck. <laughs>